Okay, so this morning we are continuing in our sermon series of What's in a Name. And today we are naming conflict. Okay, so I'm having conflict with this microphone right now. No. So uh, do you have any conflict in your life? How many of you experience moments of extreme irritation from time to time, even the ones that you know that you love? Yeah? All right, good. Glad you're, glad you're honest. And are there people in your life that simply have the ability to push your buttons at the right time? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Our, our kids have the ability to do that sometimes too, don't they? Do certain things drive you crazy on a daily basis? Are there some things that just drive you crazy? Yeah? Like maybe the toothpaste, the lid's not on, or the tissue paper is not going the right way. (laughs) That can cause conflict in some people's lives. Um, Did you have a lot of conflict this year? And if you did, did it increase because of the pandemic? So today we are going to look at conflict because we all face conflict at one time or another. It is not if, it is a matter of when. And it seems that people often don't understand conflict well. Uh, Just as the kids said that they see it as something uh, that is bad. And uh, it seems that it's been misunderstood that either it's bad or failure. And it really doesn't have to be that way. I tend to see that there are two mistakes when it comes to conflict. One, whenever we sense that there's going to be a crisis or conflict, we try to run away from it and stay away from it as far as we can get. How many of that you identify with? Yeah, me too. Me too. Come on, be honest. Yeah, avoid conflict at, at all costs. And then uh, the other is the, uh, to the other extreme. Extreme. It's those that when they sense conflict, they just go right to it, and they are going to win that argument no matter what. They're going to be right. It doesn't matter even if they may not even agree or stand up truly what they're arguing about. By golly, they're going to be right no matter what happens in that relationship. And how many, yeah, (laughs) somebody identified with that. So who dares to raise their hand on that one? Well, thank you, thank you for your honesty. Yeah, I know, I know. And so it's, it's hard, it is. But the point that I'm trying to make here is there are two very important points here. Conflict doesn't have to be that way. You need to know that conflict is perfectly normal. There's going to be conflict in our lives. But the second thing that we need to realize is reconciliation is necessary. We're going to have conflict, and conflict can be a good thing. And it teaches us many life lessons, especially when reconciliation is necessary. The goal of conflict is to reconcile. It's not to run away from it. It's not Uh, issue of you're wrong and I'm right and I have to be right at all cost. It's an opportunity to be reconciled. Conflict is normal. Reconciliation is necessary. And reconciliation doesn't mean that you are always going to agree with everyone uh, because you won't. But what it does mean is that you have the ability 
to see the point of view of the person that you might be in conflict with, that you could begin to understand the side in which they are coming from. And even if you have to part ways, you can do it with grace and with love. You can be reconciled and you can still part ways. But if we are ever going to be at peace, we have to be reconciled because conflict is normal and reconciliation is necessary. And that isn't always an easy thing to do. In fact, I think that it requires great humility. It requires grace, the ability to resolve issues, even though you may go your separate way, because you are concerned with the greater good of the group of people as a whole, rather than only being concerned about yourself. And God uses conflict to accomplish his purpose and his plan in our own lives, but also in the life of the church, in the community of faith. Conflict has played an important role in the life of many great men and women in the Bible. Uh, Abraham and Joshua, Moses and Esther. Esther faced great conflict, if you remember her story. Uh, Samson and David, they each individually had great conflicts in their lives, but they came out to be better people and better leaders because of it. In the New Testament, the early church grew despite conflict and persecution. In fact, the early church grew as a result of conflict, and just as we heard in the text read this morning. So this story in Acts takes place uh, right before Paul leaves on his second missionary journey. And while he and Barnabas are putting their affairs in order and tending to the details of beginning to launch this uh, second missionary journey, uh, they get into a disagreement on whether or not John Mark is going to uh, come go with them on this journey. And the controversy over John Mark was not a a simple argument at all. In fact, it says in verse 37 that Barnabas wanted to take with him John Mark. Now, Luke chooses the imperfect tense in the Greek for this verb, wanted. And it literally means that Barnabas was persistent and he was determined in his request of wanting John Mark to come. But yet, uh, Barnabas and, and Paul couldn't agree, and it says in verse 39, their argument became so intense that they chose to go their separate ways. So while there is this sharp disagreement to two of our heroes in the faith that that could certainly concern us, I am thankful that Luke chose to show us that these two men are human. And, and, and it shows me, it speaks to me, that conflict is normal. I'm glad that Luke, yes, he recorded the great miracles and wonderful things that took place in the establishing of the early church, but he also chose to reveal to us that there were rough patches too, that it wasn't an easy ride. And we can take comfort in knowing that even the best of people can have disagreements with one another. It just simply be, is part of life. And so we know that Paul and Barnabas disagreed over whether or not they were going to take John Mark with them. But why was Paul so insistent that he did not want Mark to go? Well, it says in Acts 15, verse 38, that Paul thought best not to take with him the one who had withdrawn and some translation says, or abandon from then, 
from them in Pamphylia and because he had not gone with them to do the work. So it's kind of like Paul is upset because he felt like that Mark abandoned them when they were traveling and doing this work and he didn't feel like that he should go with them and to go back and to revisit these churches. And so when did this happen? Well, you can read about it in Acts 13, 13, uh, where it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, some scholars have uh, speculated that Mark chose to leave them there and uh, to go back to Jerusalem because he wanted to report, basically he wanted to tell on Paul of what was uh, taking place, that Paul was receiving Gentiles into the church, but he wasn't going through the synagogue first. And so if this is true that Mark was uh, doing this, then it would have stirred up a controversy between uh, Mark and Paul. Now, we know that this is only speculation. We're not sure what the details are. But Paul felt that Mark's leaving them and separating from them in Perga uh, created a character flaw in him. And, uh, and so for Mark to be joining uh, this journey with Paul, it wasn't a wise thing to do. Uh, in fact, Paul didn't have the ability to trust him, and therefore Mark uh, wouldn't have been effective under Paul's leadership. Mark likely felt guilty about abandoning them in in Perga, and uh, maybe he wanted the opportunity to redeem himself. And I'm sure that Barnabas wanted to give Mark uh, a second chance uh, for that redemption. But we also, to be fair, we need to understand that Mark and Barnabas were cousins. And I don't think that that's the only reason why Barnabas wanted Mark to come along. I think that Barnabas saw Mark's potential, and he wanted him to have the opportunity uh, to develop and to mature uh, in his walk in ministry. Sincere followers of Jesus can have sharp disagreements. It is going to happen. But one doesn't have to be right, and the other has to be wrong. It isn't going to be the end of the world, and it certainly isn't the end of the church. God has given us specific guidelines on how we are to deal with one another when there is conflict and unrest, and a lot of it has to do with forgiveness. Paul was well within his apostolic authority and not wanting Mark to go with him, but Barnabas was within his right as well in wanting to give Mark another chance. And so followers of Jesus who sincerely disagree can actually uh, part ways and can do so gracefully in working things out. We can agree to disagree and we can still separate and still have love for one another. To me, it is refreshing to see that people within the community of faith in the midst of conflict have the ability to call it what it is and to be able to part ways. It is only when we have a counterfeit unity, uh, whenever we have a toxic mixture of mushy sentimentality or passive-aggressive behavior uh, that hurts our witness as a church, uh, to not be honest, to not be authentic, to not be real, and to call it what it is, to be honest about the uh, division, and to choose to part ways, but to do it in a loving manner. The good news is, is that God did bring about good from Paul and Barnabas' split. 
It's hard for us to understand why two men of great faith uh, had this uh, disagreement, but God worked things out for his glory, and he worked things out for our good in this. And one of the most obvious things that happened was is that instead of one missionary journey, there was now two missionary journeys and a greater opportunity for God's word to be spread. Uh, we know that Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas traveled through uh, Syria and Cecilia. Barnabas also shows us a fantastic uh, character lesson in refusing to utilize his authority and his power over Paul. Because, see, we need to have a greater understanding that it was Barnabas who, in the beginning, was responsible in leading this new church. And uh, uh, Barnabas was the teacher, and Paul was Barnabas' apprentice. And it was Barnabas who spoke at the, uh, at the church council in Jerusalem. It wasn't Paul. And so Barnabas had the power. He had the authority to make trouble for Paul, uh, but he chose not to. And he could have pay, played his church politics card. He could have had his way, but he didn't. He supported Paul in his decision and what he wanted to make rather than creating a larger issue than what was already at hand. And so he was taking into consideration what was for the greater good. And even though we don't know the specifics, I believe that Paul also matured in his faith and uh, in learning uh, valuable lessons that uh, even though we may part ways, uh, people are worthy of forgiveness and respect and that each crisis has an opportunity for redemption. We also know that Mark ended up being close to Peter, the apostle, through all of this. Mark learned a lot uh, under Barnabas, and, uh, and I think that we cannot neglect the fact that there was great change in Mark's life because here was someone who ran away from an opportunity to serve in Perga. Uh, then he learned some great lessons, and it turns out that Mark is the one who wrote the gospel of Mark, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in his, gospels, the, his gospel that he wrote, there was great emphasis on Jesus Christ being the great servant. And so we see transformation in Mark's life. But what about the relationship between Paul and Mark over the time? What happened between the two of them after they parted ways? Well, we know that Paul developed a respect for Mark uh, later on in his life. In fact, Mark worked closely with Paul when he was in prison in Rome. And one of the most touching references that Paul makes about Mark is found in 2 Timothy. Paul writes this letter that is known as 2 Timothy. He is writing this letter to his apprentice, Timothy. Paul knows that he is about to be executed. He knows that his time is short. He is getting his affairs in order. He is writing down his last words of instruction to Timothy, who is going to take over uh, Paul's ministry after his death. And he is saying in this letter, Only Luke is with me now, Timothy. And, uh, and he's giving a list of personal instructions. Mainly, it is a list of people that he wants uh, Timothy uh, to greet and to visit. And then he ends by saying, and yes, he makes a final reference to Mark. And Paul, listen to what Paul wrote. He says, Luke alone is with me. 
Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And so Paul, in his final hour, he is wanting Timothy to come soon. He is asking him to bring his cloak, his books, and his parchments. But he also says, bring Mark with you. He is valuable to me in ministry. Despite everything that happened at Pamphylia with this emotional, intense disagreement over Mark, Paul, at the end of his life, found Mark to be useful to him in ministry. Even though he didn't see it in the beginning, he could see it now. And to me, this is a beautiful story of two lives that were changed and transformed. Mark developed great character in the lessons that he learned. And Paul recognized that sanctification process in Mark's life. And he, uh, and he realized uh, that there is forgiveness, that there is uh, redemption whenever we d- when things go uh, wrong. And to me, it is a beautiful picture of love and grace and perseverance and restoration. And so I want to ask you, what about you? I know that you raised your hands that you may have conflict in your life, but I want you to think about who you possibly might need to be reconciled to. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe there's a rift between you and uh, your adult children. Uh, Maybe it's a sibling that you need to go and talk to. Or perhaps a spouse that you need to reconcile with before it's too late. Maybe you need to have a conversation with other extended family members or, or a friend or, or even a co-worker. Regardless of where you have a broken relationship or where you may be experiencing conflict, you need to remember that conflict is normal and that reconciliation is required. The Apostle Paul says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. And that isn't easy to do. We are responsible for our part. It requires humility. It requires us to be able to see the bigger picture and to trust God with, other, with broken relationships. And if the person on the other side isn't receiving, isn't warm, and isn't welcoming, you can't control their behavior, but you do have control of your own behavior. And so conflict doesn't have to be bad. It can be good whenever we choose to do things uh, according to God's plan and purposes. So what can we learn from these Bible stories? What are the next steps for us? Well, first of all, do not allow your past mistakes to define your future because God is in the transforming business and he has the ability to take our failures and to change them and to use them for good and to shape us and to form us to become more like him secondly if you mess up in life or you mess up in ministry know that you can get right back in step with things Uh, especially if you are willing uh, uh, to receive and to offer forgiveness there is always an opportunity for healing and restoration and three it is never too late to connect with someone you have let down god it may you know that god may have changed in uh, your heart But we have to trust that God has also been at work for the uh, other person that may have let us down or that we have let them down. And it is never too late to forgive the one that uh, let you down. And, uh, And to realize that the Holy Spirit can change anybody. 
and we might be pleasantly surprised. And so we don't need to be afraid of the conflict because it usually turns out a whole lot better than what we fear uh, may happen. And so the Bible makes it really clear that when conflict occurs, it is normal, but also that uh, we are to pursue peace and that reconciliation should be an option with us. And so with that being said, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you provide a way when there is conflict, when there are broken relationships, that through humility, through forgiveness, through trusting in you with these relationships, that reconciliation can happen, that good can take place. Lord, we know that we're not going to agree with everybody in the room but we need to be willing to listen, to listen to what the other person has to say, to be willing to see them, uh, people as of worth and value because you have created them and to try to understand from where they are coming from. Lord, we all desire to be listened to. And Lord, we know we don't have the corner market that we're not right about everything. We thank you that you are the teacher and leader of all truth, but we especially thank you for your grace. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.